Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly uh, diary entry into the memories of evil wizards. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Today we're discussing Unlucky Chapter 13 and 14 of Chamber of Secrets. I was debating doing just one chapter this week, but these two chapters pair really nicely together. So we're going to do both. Lots of big events to discuss. Before we get started, we actually don't have any ads this week, so we thought we'd spend a moment just talking about ourselves. <laughs> we thought we'd do our own, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we normally don't have time to. First of all, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're enjoying the show. Here's a recent review we received from Danny823. I listened at the beginning for a few years, and I'm glad it's still going. I still have my Pickle Pack shirt, in fact. Listening to the new chapter by chapter has been great. Excellent. Thank you, Danny. And thanks to everybody else who has left a review as well. We really appreciate that. Next, this message is for listeners who are watching HBO's new The Last of Us series. I just started a podcast reaction show to it, which will air every Monday after the episode. Me and a longtime friend, Chad, are podcasting on YouTube now for the first time. There's like a video component. I've never done anything like that. So I go in afterwards. I put in all the screenshots and stuff of things we're talking about. It's a blast. It's called Thank You for Sporing. (laughs) S-P-O-R-E hyphen I-N-G. And it's released on the feed of my other podcast, Thank You for Spieling. Um, So anyway, you can just search Sporing or HBO Reactions. It's on YouTube and we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, it's every Monday. It, it feels good to be talking about a TV show and just having like weekly updates to that. That's what I want to do. Are you listening, WB? <laughs> no, that's so cool that you're doing that. I'm going to have to tune in. Yeah, check it out. I heard the Thank You for Spieling episode that I was on was the most popular of last year. Is that true? It was very much. Yes. Part two actually was a little bit more popular than part one. I don't know if we got into the midi, midi, nitty gritty or revealed some life secrets, but but yes, yours, yours was the most downloaded episode of 2022. I actually started listening to part one of that, and I did get to the part where you both said very nice things about me. That was very oh. nice. It only took you a year. And then you quit. You were like, oh, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> then I turned it, turned it off. No, no, no. I, I actually did turn it off shortly after that, but only because I had to do something. <laughs> but I am going to listen all the way through because uh, it's been fun listening to you two chat about everything. Well, we'll, we'll get we'll get uh, you and Laura on the podcast soon, too. Yeah, for yeah, sure. sure. Well, and speaking of podcasts, just wanted to remind everybody that Laura and I do a weekly podcast released every Wednesday called Millennial. You can tune in for fun and thought-provoking discussions about news and politics and pop culture. Last week, we spoke about how digital cameras are now very popular with Gen Z. They've made a comeback, believe it or not. And uh, we also spoke about an increase in UFO sightings. And next week, we're going to be talking about ChatGPT and what it means for the future, because there's been a lot of stories about that. A lot of implications. A lot of new bots, too. I found a Dumbledore bot the other day. You can have a conversation with Dumbledore. Uh, I We get that every week just talking with you, Andrew. <laughs> true, true. And he sends <laughs> us cookies. <laughs> true. Does the bot, bot send cookies? You have basically the real thing. Uh, no, I'll have to ask the bot sometime. Every Wednesday, you can get a new episode of Millennial, millennialshow.com. Are you still doing Be Real, Andrew? No, no. Yes, when Eric was on, we spoke about Be Real. Are you doing Be Real? I'm definitely not doing Be Real. You didn't. You never did to begin with. That's right. I I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the younger generations are still into it. I still hear about it and and see some posts from time to time. We need to ask our Gen Z or Chloe, but she's not uh, here today. 
All right. Well, let's get to chapter by chapter now. We'll start with chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. We're actually going to do something a little different this week for the seven-word summary. This was Eric's idea. Eric, what are we going to do this week? So we're still coming up with seven words, which will comprise a summary of this chapter. But instead of all four of us doing a rotation, it's just two of us going back and forth. (laughs) I see. Why did we never think about this? This is like the 400th uh, seven-word summary, it seems we've done. It is a good idea. Well, we'll see how it goes. Because it's nice to do something together. Yeah, the yeah, The four yeah, yeah. of us. Well, I feel like we're so good now at covering each other's mistakes that if we limit it to just two of us, we could trip each other up. Might be more challenging. Well, I don't think the idea is to trip each other up. No, we no, want no, no, A no. successful seven-word summer. We don't want to have to go back and redo everyone in this book. It's true. It's true. I'm kind of tempting uh, fate here. But uh, but yeah, I did see it as kind of like a cross between seven word summary and dueling club. We have to keep uh, keep the, the volleyball up in the air. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, let's give this a shot. Micah and Laura are up first. All right, Laura. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Memories are misleading within Riddles. Secret. Diary. Yay! Wow. Good job, you two. Man, I want to high five you right now, Micah. Yeah. (laughs) See, you put put the Ravenclaws first. Good luck with the next chapter, Andrew and Eric. (laughs) You two can just take the next one, too. I like just sitting back and watching. That's okay. That's okay. I want to see y'all do it. So Hermione's still recovering in the hospital wing from the polyjuice mishap. Meanwhile... Filch is angry at cleaning up water coming out of Myrtle's bathroom, and he's finally putting his foot down about all the work he has to do. He says, even more work for me, mopping all night like I haven't got enough to do. No, this is the final straw. I'm going to Dumbledore. And I wanted to bring this up because a few weeks ago, I think I said that he might actually enjoy his role at Hogwarts. That's why he's there. Because he's the only person doing it. He is probably overworked, but he enjoys being amongst the magic because he's a squib and can't do it himself. So at least he gets to kind of experience it. I think he likes being at Hogwarts, but now he's uh, putting his foot down. If Ghost is is not even a material being, but is able to cause all this material mess, that's when I would throw my like hands out too, be like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Even the dead people are causing problems here. Mm-hmm. I think he's just really stressed out too. Let's not forget yeah. his pet, well, his friend, his confidant, Mrs. Norris, companion. has been petrified, his companion. So I just think that he's going through a lot. And now on top of that, he, in in the same spot, right? This is the location where she was petrified. Ah, uh, yeah. He's like triggered. Yeah. He's triggered. There's a lot of just mental anguish, I think, that he's going through. And, uh, but Andrew, I really don't think he likes his job, to be honest with you. I, I think he's yeah. <laughs> Okay. And, All right. You know, he's actually in a lot of danger this year because he is literally camping out right outside the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets unknowingly. Mm. So at any yeah. point, he could have been a basilisk victim. And it's actually kind of amazing that that didn't happen. Yeah, true. So we find out that someone's thrown a book at Myrtle and Ron... A smart character, mind you, warns Harry not to touch it, because as he's learned from his father, there have been dangerous books before. And the book has T.M. Riddle on it. And Ron, a smart character who isn't always dependent on Hermione. Thank you. 
also notes he's seen that name on the trophies from 50 years ago. Another reason I'm enjoying this reread is I'm cleansing my mind of all the movieisms, yes. <laughs> like Hermione figuring everything out. <laughs> he really pieces this together. Yeah, I think it was a good point what you brought up, Andrew, that he's drawing on what his father has taught him and and these examples he gives of people who have interacted with books in the past and not really knowing what in fact um, they could do to them. Um, but Harry, in particular, when he picks up the diary, he notes that the owner must be muggle-born because the book was purchased on Vauxhall Road. And I'm not sure of that connection necessarily. Is it just because it was purchased out in the muggle world versus being purchased, let's say, at Diagon Alley or in Hogsmeade? I don't know that that's necessarily um, a fair assumption to make, but I think we're given this clue because of all the information we're about to get a little bit later on as it relates to Tom Riddle. I think it also shows that at this stage in the series, Harry and and also Ron and Hermione, potentially to a lesser extent, are sort of seeing what they want to see or allowing confirmation bias to lead them potentially down the wrong path, which is something that we see a little bit later on in this chapter, right? Even still, uh, they talk about how no Slytherins have been attacked and it's like, well, it's yes. got to be a Slytherin. And they've just been to the Slytherin common room and ruled out their main culprit, but like they're still just going, has anyone noticed? And what really is interesting about the book clue here is that as we do learn more about Tom Riddle, especially when Tom is in Dippet's office a little bit later on in the memory and he talks about how, you know, he's half-blood, um, it, it, would lead you to believe that he's not actually the one that's responsible because Slytherin's heir presumably would be pure blood and okay. would be, mm. you know. Um, so that, that was just something that came to mind. Works on many levels. Mm-hmm. I'd like to take a, a moment to utilize an opportunity that I haven't had in over 400 episodes. Uh, when we're talking about dangerous books, there was something, it's one of my greatest mistakes I've ever made on the show, was thinking that limericks were evil and disastrous. <laughs> Ron tells Harry about uh, a book that you can't put down and a book that will kill you if you open it, a book that will make you speak in limericks. And limericks are happy little rhymes. They're not evil, dark wizard stuff that I originally claimed. I was thinking speaking in tongues, which is like total exorcist stuff. Anyway, back on 187, I said that it was a very dark thing. A few people have corrected me over the years, but I want to put that out there. <laughs> limericks i wouldn't mind reading a book that made you not speak talk uh talking limericks that would be kind of fun yeah that would be i would rhyme a lot better if i could you know i really appreciate the journalistic integrity that you had here to issue a correction for something that happened that long ago <laughs> it was time it was time wow yeah. um something else here i wanted to point out and it's just kind of a, a nice little connecting the threads moment is because the diary doesn't have anything in it you know, the trio try various things to see if they can reveal um, old diary entries, but they're not having any luck. And Ron suggests that Harry should just chuck the diary, um, which I think is a nice parallel to Half-Blood Prince, where Hermione is trying to get Harry to return another book, um, the Prince's Potions book. Good call so out. So we're getting a lot of connections between Half-Blood Prince and Chamber of Secrets. 
So with this new info they've gathered, Harry and Hermione start putting the pieces together. They get it partly right. The chamber was last opened half a century ago, and TM Riddle was in the school half a century ago. Hmm, okay, seeing something here. What they get wrong, though, is they think TM Riddle caught the air 50 years ago. Right. You know, they'll figure that out as they as they move ahead. But uh, it was already mentioned that Ron notes that TM Riddle received special services to the school because he remembers very vividly belching slugs on that trophy uh, when he was doing his detention just a couple of weeks or months prior. And Ron makes a joke um, when he's talking with Harry. And this is one of the many examples, I think, of when Ron makes a joke and it has a tendency um, to have some truth to it or end up coming true. Ron says that maybe TM Riddle killed Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favor. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> One of the all-time great quick jokes that ends up being true. Ron, a smart character. <laughs> oh, oh, he's so right. He's also a bit prophetic. Maybe he's got a bit of seer in him. Mm. Yeah, he'll do great in divination, right? <laughs> oh, clearly. <laughs> totally. If taught by a competent teacher, Ron's skills uh, know no bounds. And it was also mentioned during this that not only did he get an award for special services to the school, but he also received a medal for magical merit and was a head boy. Here's the interesting thing. They come across Riddle on a list of old uh, head boy, head girls. But whatever list this is, is not delineated by their house. You would think that it kind of would be because one thing that could potentially foil all of this um, information gathering that Harry and Ron are doing in this chapter would be to know that T.M. Riddle was a Slytherin. I think that this would actually be a huge um, kind of pause or give Harry pause to consider the information that he has received and is about to receive if that list included from Slytherin T.M. Riddle. I think it would maybe put Harry a little bit on edge or prepare him just a little bit to question or scrutinize everything he's learning so quickly. It's a great point. And maybe it shows you that Ron isn't as smart as we're giving him credit for since whoa, he didn't look whoa, to see whoa, what whoa, house whoa. Riddle was in. Oh, man. I mean, if it just wasn't listed, but it would make sense to list these students by their houses, wouldn't it? Because yes, there's course. like that proud tradition of from this house, so-and-so, you know? Like, yeah. It is a really good point. And what it made me think about, too, is that when Harry is in the memory and he's in that uh, office with Riddle and Dippet, there's also no mention of Slytherin. And I'm wondering, is there any clothing potentially that Riddle is wearing that would give away the fact that like he was in Slytherin? Oh. I mean, the memory is in full color too. So if he had like, for instance, in the movies, the inlay of of a green you know, robe kind of thing, uh, Harry would know immediately he was a Slytherin, but it but doesn't come up. I feel like that's the excuse for everything that we give now is- <laughs> Hashtag but they're 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it is it is mysteriously absent. I mean, in the movie, you can't get rid of the uh the um emblem and you know and the house colors and everything. You can you would totally be able to spot a Slytherin. Yeah. Um, but Harry doesn't and Harry can't. So I, that just really would have, especially because we're talking about the air of Slytherin opening the Chamber of Secrets, if Tom Riddle were revealed to be a Slytherin. So it's just kind of a clever way that it's hidden or something. Laura, it looks like you've been ruminating. What what's on your mind? Oh, yeah. No, thank you for <laughs> thank you for, for staring at me. For, no, no, no. <laughs> thank you for calling that out. No, I was I was thinking about a couple things related to this. I mean, one 
when it comes to how apparent somebody's house is, I feel like that's more of a movieism than a bookism. You know, I don't think that we have badges or like inlaid coloring on the robes or anything like that. And I'm just trying to think if there are any other examples in the books, apart from characters, just either having the knowledge or calling it out. Um, And of course, apart from the sorting ceremony, where people's houses are documented like that. And I can't, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Well, maybe we can keep well, this in mind moving forward and then call it out. Yeah, I would just the only thing I would call out and and maybe the office example wasn't the best one, but I do think Eric's point about being listed as a head boy but not having the house to which he was a head boy for does seem a little strange. Yeah, I yeah. mean that that definitely feels feels very like strategic from a writing perspective and maybe doesn't quite square up with what we would expect to see. I agree with that. So this line was really interesting. I wanted to get everybody's opinion on, quote, while Harry was sure he had never heard the name Tam Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him, almost as though Riddle was a friend he had had when he was very small and had half forgotten. Is this the Horcrux talking or what? Yep. Yeah. Horcrux? Yep. Okay. I mean, he's literally... I love that little hint. Yeah, he's literally handling the diary in the moment when he thinks of this, mm-hmm. like he's paging through it, trying to find something. So yeah, I think, I think there was a Horcrux connection in that moment. <laughs> it's the closest that two Horcruxes have been in many, 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 many years. Yeah. But Whoa. even if, even if, it's, even if somebody had said the name aloud and he wasn't physically holding the diary at the moment, I would think that he would be remembering an identity that he used to have, like an old name. Somebody used to call you by like um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I haven't gone by the name of Obi-Wan in a long time, you know, like that, (laughs) where it's that recognition, even though it's not Harry's conscious self, there is a conscious entity in a piece of Voldemort's soul in him that's very much resonating with that name. I wonder if anybody parsed this line in between books six and seven where where there was that big debate about is Harry a Horcrux or not? Mm. It's such a quick line. You you might yeah. not notice it until after. But yeah, I guess even if it wasn't the Horcrux, it could simply have been because of Voldemort trying to kill Harry back when he was a baby. Well, not many people know that Voldemort used to be called T.M. Riddle. The only time Harry actually yeah. would have heard that name is before he was one. So yeah, I mean, it's we're talking about a long ways ago. I, I like to think the recognition s- stems beyond like before Harry was born, kind of like I heard that name. Hmm. Okay. Well, so Harry's got the diary now, and um, we'll get to the Lockhart Valentine's Day party a little later. Um, <laughs> but Harry has the diary, and he discovers the trick of the diary after noticing at that Valentine's Day party that ink spilt didn't stick to the pages of Riddle's diary like the ink did to the other books. So he tries writing in this diary himself and his message disappears into the page. Gasp. It's like AOL Instant Messenger. It's like chat GPT. He's talking with someone or something via this new form of communication. Now, Harry, being the brave Gryffindor slash almost Slytherin that he is, um, decides to start talking to the book. And this is pretty risky, right? I mean, without having your friends with you in case something goes awry, 
I think there's a line that Ron didn't want to deal with the diary anymore. He didn't he didn't think there was anything to it. So that's why Ron wasn't there, maybe. But this scene, especially on the other hand, like Ron said just a few pages ago, books can be dangerous. We got to be careful. And here's Harry sitting by himself talking to this mystery book. There's just something about it. There's something that makes you want to pick it up. And that goes to what we later find out about Horcruxes, things like the locket that affect you by your mere presence to them. Um, so I think that's what's going on here. I think it's I think it's that, and maybe the Horcruxes are yearning to connect. <laughs> yearning I agree. to connect. I, I was gonna say, given what we just spoke about, there's definitely a connection here between Harry being a Horcrux and the diary being a Horcrux. And there's probably some internal draw for Harry to try and figure out exactly what is going on with this diary. So I I like that piece of it a lot. One thing that I was going to call out is this whole situation where the diary is kind of being tossed around and like Draco comes down with it initially. It reminded me a lot of earlier on in the book at Flourish and Blots when they have that whole scrum between Lucius and Arthur and he ends up slipping the diary to Ginny. So I'm curious what would have happened if Malfoy ended up keeping the diary right? Because he has it in his possession. Would he have inadvertently messed up his own father's plans? That's funny. (laughs) I think it would depend on if he learned how to use it, right? Mm. Or if he just thumbed through it and saw it was completely blank and decided, okay, well, I can't torment Potter with this, which is his motivation behind taking it in the first place. I don't know if he would have held on to it. That's a fair point. It's also noted that Ginny was staring from the diary to Harry, looking terrified. And I was wondering if any of us picked up on this when we initially read the book, or were we just kind of chalking it up to her being embarrassed about the Valentine and having general concern for Harry, like Draco has stolen something of um, of Harry's. Yeah, I doubt I picked up on it, and I probably had the latter assumption. Even reading it today, this week, I think you can easily take this for, oh, Ginny's just concerned about the situation on a whole. Yeah, but what she's really thinking is, I just tried to get rid of this, and now you have it, you of all people. It's My boo? My boo? (laughs) (laughs) Right, but the the wording is important here. It's not that she looked concerned, she looked terrified. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. Well, by this point, she's beginning to miss time uh, she doesn't know where she is, you know, half the time. She suspected the diary was doing it enough to try and get rid of it. So the idea that Harry, who she genuinely cares about, or any other student, all of a sudden getting this diary, it would happen to them too, puts her in a really interesting pickle. Yeah. There's all of that. And there's the fact that we know she was talking a lot about Harry to Tom Riddle's diary. And now she sees that he has the vessel that contains so much knowledge that, uh, you know, about Jenny's crush on him. So it's layered, right? It's, it's her being embarrassed about that. It's the Valentine's day stuff. It's all of the horrific experiences that she has had because of this diary and seeing the person that she probably wrote about the most in that diary, holding on to it now. 
And I'm going to recommend at this time, and Laura, you should definitely read this. There's a fan fiction called A Very Secret Diary that was written in the early 2000s before all of the books were out. And it literally is Ginny's whole first year at Hogwarts from her perspective as writings in Tom Riddle's diary. And that's cool. What he says back. And so I will I will give a content warning. It's very dark because we're talking about the manipulation of a young girl, but it's exactly the personality that we know Voldemort to have from book six as Mm. a manipulative and initially getting her trust uh, and then slowly making the Chamber of Secrets open. It is an amazing month by month account of Ginny's side of the story. And I was waiting for the perfect time to to suggest it, but it's here. And uh, there's actually a link of, uh, we put it in Google Docs because it's a, a, like you have to go to Wayback Machine to get the the original text, but the full text is in a Google Doc link. And I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Let's talk about Tom Riddle's memory. Harry has now figured out the secrets. He's uh, having a Horcrux meet cute with TM Riddle. <laughs> and- <laughs> There's something for social media. (laughs) I needed to drop that because a few minutes ago, I was like, that needs to be the episode title. So now it can officially be the episode title. I love the thought that the two Horcruxes and Eric's call out that two Horcruxes are close together for the first time in a really long time. That's that's crazy. Anyway, let's talk about this memory. In their conversation, Tom offers to take Harry into a memory to show who had opened the Chamber of Secrets. And of course, Tom's lying about who really opened it. But the fact that the, the the memory he's sharing is truthful. It is what really happens. And Tom opens up a sort of portal to the memory in his diary via a day on the calendar. And Harry describes it like a TV screen. He suddenly sees this little TV screen and it kind of pulls him in. Now, the Tom Riddle he's talking to is the Tom Riddle of 50 years ago. However, Tom Riddle has come to learn about Harry, thanks to Ginny yes. always telling Mr. T about him. So could he have killed Harry somehow via this mode of transportation? Or would he have even wanted to? I'm kind of a little foggy on like how much mm. Tom Riddle knows about Harry at this point. Yeah. Well, I think Tom's objective at this point is to assume, you know, a human body like not be confined to the pages of this diary anymore. So I don't know how killing Harry at this stage would help him do that. The other thing to consider, and this is just from a writing perspective, a plot perspective, he can't kill Harry without killing the piece of Voldemort's soul that lives in him. Of course, Voldemort doesn't Uh. really know that Harry's a Horcrux. So... That's just convenient writing, I think. Um, but yeah, I think I think Tom's main goal is to get his body back. Yeah. yeah. So he wants he's re- recruiting Harry as an ally by showing him that. Yeah, he's trying to further the the narrative here. And one thing though that could have happened, and I'm going back to what Ron talked to Harry about earlier on in the chapter. Right? He gives. Harry examples of of witches and wizards, like one of them had their eyes burned out. Uh, Eric, mm-hmm. as you said, one of them talked in limericks uh, forever. And then there was the other witch who couldn't take her head out of the book. She she kept reading. So 
I mean, Harry is is playing with fire here. Um, I wondered what if he just gets trapped in the book for eternity? Yeah, he can't get out. Right. Even if T. M. Riddle didn't want to kill him, it's still very dangerous to do this on your own. I will say, like to your point too, Andrew, about the what he shows Harry being the truth and truthful. It's a perfect trap for Harry to believe this, and I th- I think that I I choose to believe that it was. Basically, Ginny telling Tamra like what kind of person Harry is that or that that Tom would then have been like, I know, like once he went because Riddle doesn't control where his diary goes. He can't control the fact that Harry opens it. And later uh, when they're in the Chamber of Secrets together, he's like, imagine my surprise when you picked up the book. Um, but he knows exactly what to do. Things that he says to Harry, like, oh, the Chamber of Secrets, like the teachers all covered it up and we were told it didn't exist. But then somebody you know, everything was kind of um, muddled when when a student died are all the same uh, little breadcrumbs that Harry would like. Harry needs mystery. Harry needs adventure and mystery and excitement. And this sort of the story that Riddle is slowly peppering to him before he takes him to the memory, combined with the memory of just like that portrays Riddle as this do-gooder that really just wants to do what's right because he wants to not go to the orphanage over the summer is very much like catered to perfectly win Harry's um, loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. It resonates with him. It's very creative magic. And it made me wonder, at least in my mind, the way I looked at it is that it was bringing to life what Riddle wrote on the page, whether truthful or not. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about this a little bit later on, but there's a lot to be said about memory alteration and, and false memories given the tie to Half-Blood Prince. It's true. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that substantially what we see in this memory is is generally what happened. But I do wonder if the memory was altered somewhat to make Hagrid appear more guilty than he actually was when this happened, um, or if it was altered you know to show show harry things that would resonate with him well definitely the part when you look at what what hagrid is doing he's just trying to save the life of his pet he thinks that aragog will be killed if everyone finds out and it wasn't him it wasn't you know i think that i i tend to believe the hagrid dialogue is all verbatim 100 as it happened but an interesting point about whether the uh, memory is manipulated is the downtime in the movie, it goes through really quick, but Harry is waiting for an hour behind like this in this darkened room while Riddle like listens for, I guess, Hagrid happening to pop by. And I think that that break is also crucial in winning Harry over because it wasn't just a step by step. Oh, every minute something exciting is happening. But having that downtime being essentially like Harry gets bored or stops being anxious about where he is or what's about to happen. I think that's also crucial. Like give it to him in small bits, like keep him mm-hmm. here but allow him to to feel like it's organic, even if it's not. Yeah. And was that hour of downtime actually what happened? It it does raise questions about how did Tom know that Hagrid was going to be coming by at this specific yeah. time with yeah. his acromantula? It's interesting because they are on a first name basis with each other. Yeah. I think this also raises questions about like how much of this memory can you alter if it's in the diary? And how is this memory stored exactly? Is it what he wrote in his diary literally 50 years ago or what? That's why it's important not to trust it. 
Yeah. <laughs> to, to Ron's point, because you don't know what you're getting. I, I think that Tom could have written whatever it was that he wanted to in that diary and have it serve his own purpose for when, in fact, somebody comes across it down the line and can, via the Horcrux, bring him back to life. So I I think that, you know, if we're looking at Half-Blood Prince as a, as a point of comparison and connecting the threads there, um, you know, memory alteration and false memories are an integral plot point in that book. And the memories themselves all concern Tom Riddle, much like this one does in Chamber of Secrets. So, yeah, we also know that when this book was being written, a lot of plot points that related to Half-Blood Prince had already been planned and there were some changes, I think, made to the story because originally some of what happened in Half-Blood Prince was going to happen in Chamber of Secrets right? and ended up coming later. So there's potential that there's an even deeper connection between these books than, than maybe what we are able to interpret as readers. Let's hypothesize for a second because if book six was book two instead, the series would have progressed from Old Man Voldemort that yep. has to share a body with with uh, Quirrell uh, to teenage Voldemort. It's like here's the man that killed your family and you know made you an orphan, Harry. But here's him when he was 15, 16, not much older than you. Here's what he was like at school. Here's some of the memories that that showcase that. Like that would have been a totally different book. Um, yeah. But in sequence would have been very cool. I, I do like because I find this teenage riddle to be very compelling. Um, you know, as a sociopathic person who is uh, hoodwinking everyone around him, all the teachers, especially into uh, doing nefarious things. It, I'm so excited that book six spends so much time on this because it's able to show like it honestly sells me on Voldemort, you know, as as a as a as a as a character, as a villain, mm -hmm. um, knowing how he coldly manipulates people to achieve his ends. So. Elsewhere in the memory, Riddle tells Headmaster Dippet that he would like to stay at school over the summer because the orphanage sucks. And Harry learns here that Tom's parents are dead and that he's a half-blood. We mentioned those things a few minutes ago. Um, and that's relatable for Harry. Like, oh, yeah. okay, TM Riddle, he gets me. He gets me because I'm an orphan too. Um, but what cracks me up about this little area is... We were talking a couple of weeks ago about how crazy it was for Dumbledore to let students stay at Hogwarts <laughs> over holiday break when the Basilisk is uh, running about Hogwarts. Or this mystery threat is running about Hogwarts. Tom tells Dippet he wants to stay at school because the orphanage sucks. And Dippet says it'd be crazy to let you stay at school while the chamber is open. So Dippet seems to be a better headmaster than Dumbledore. Yep. Ugh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I just love that this was included because then you can compare the two and be like, I mean, even reading this book for the first time, you may have thought at the time, oh, but Dumbledore's letting the kids stay at school. That's kind of strange. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so we've already spoken about this, but Riddle frames Hagrid as the person who opened the chamber. What a great cliffhanger for the chapter to end and be like, it was Hagrid, Harry's Ron. friend, yeah. his buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
So let's move to some odds and ends. I just wanted to call out this quote. Snape had given them so much homework. Harry thought he was likely to be in his sixth year before he finished it. <laughs> just wanted to mention that because nice. of the connection. All, all of our connections. Do you think yeah. Snape is still retaliating against them for the firework incident? He did, after all, give all these Probably. Gryffindors all this homework and he's miserable. He hasn't figured out who done it and all that stuff. He is one to hold a grudge. And, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Made a whole <laughs> chapter title. Snape's grudge, right? Yep. Um, but uh, talking about the conversation with Dippet, two more important things or two more things to call out. Riddle actually tells Zippet uh, that he was named Tom after his father and Marvolo after his grandfather. We now have all of the words or sorry, all of the letters of Tom Riddle's full name. At this point, if anyone were like that obsessive Harry Potter fan that's doing anagrams the whole way through the series and it's like Tom Marvel or I'll figure it out, it's possible maybe somebody got I am Lord Voldemort by now. It's a lot of readers. Maybe somebody did. The second point here is that Meg actually pointed out to me while we were reading these chapters that uh, it's possible Riddle isn't being entirely honest about his reasons for staying at the school. I tend to feel for him in this moment. I'm like, oh, we know an orphanage is awful and Hogwarts is home. And that's what Harry latches on to. He's like, I totally understand Hogwarts is home for this guy. But Riddle at this time is still trying to locate the uh, founder's artifacts to make Horcruxes. And Riddle at this age is literally the same age that he made the diary Horcrux. So Riddle is essentially trying to stay at the school because he's still trying to get some of those founders items. The same reason that he later asked Dumbledore to stay at the school uh, so that he can track down and further his own immortality. So it's not don't be duped, everybody. Yeah. And what what better time to do that than summer when effectively no one's in school? He would have free reign. Something I want to mention here, um, and it's it's not plot related, but it's just something that jumped out at me. Uh, Madame Pomfrey is is speaking very uh, casually about the Mandrakes and you know where they are in their maturation process and what will happen to them. And she's talking about how they're fast leaving childhood, and when their acne clears up, um, we'll chop them up and stew them. And have the cure. And I'm like, these are sentient beings that are, I mean, literally going through puberty. I think um, (laughs) Professor Sprout later talks about them trying to move into each other's pots when they, you know, reach full maturity. Hey, now. Getting their first apartment, their first puggle together, their first, uh, you know, everything. I mean, do mandrakes have human rights? No, (laughs) clearly. Should mandrakes have human rights? (laughs) Sacrifices must be made. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. And we haven't brought up Lockhart's Valentine's Day party besides a passing comment. Maybe this is something good we can say about Lockhart. He puts together this party. It's a little strange. He's enlisted a bunch of dwarves to play the roles of Cupid around the school. And uh, they sing Valentine's. Harry gets one from Ginny. But I think it is a cool way to boost morale. So good job, I guess, Lockhart. No. I can, I can appreciate that Gilderoy does this without any of the support of the fellow teachers. Like, think of like the the amazing uh, amount of every organization and planning just for this thing and all the teachers hate it, but they, they there's nothing they can do about it. This is the DADA teacher. I don't know if y'all ever had like Valentine's parties in school or if they ever Aww. did, um, you know, something like this where you could send cards or my yeah we traded cards yeah my school did a carnation thing where you could like 
pay a buck to send a carnation to someone. Did you grow and... up in the South? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We just had the cardboard. We just had the cardboard cutouts. Carnations sound amazing. Yeah, but honestly, it was it, it kind of sucked if you weren't popular because it was it was all of the popular people who got stuff like that, and everyone else was sort of like left out. So reading this brought back memories of that for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I hated it when my school did this. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Oh, man. You know, (laughs) I'm actually with Andrew on this. I I think that this is a a nice move, a nice gesture on the part of Lockhart to bring a little bit of cheerfulness to an otherwise terrified school. Uh, So he does have moments uh, where where he shows some positive attributes. I'm even thinking too of him sending Hermione a note when she was in the hospital uh, after she had been turned into a cat. Right. <laughs> the note. The note that's over fifty percent of it is his honorifics at the end of his name. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dear Hermione, you're great. Recover well. Sincerely, Gilderoy Lockhart. Order Merlin. <laughs> Look, he's a fellow Ravenclaw, so I'm trying to find some redeeming qualities in Gilderoy. If he were in charge of like the cheer squad or the uh, what is it, the spirit days, if he were like the morale boosting spirit days kind of guy, sure. Like, there's a place for somebody with that much enthusiasm. Uh, for theme and scenery and all that stuff in school. Okay, that said, did anybody have flashbacks of Umbridge when they were talking about just the amount of pink that was being used? Or flash forwards uh, to Umbridge? Oh, a flash forward. Yeah. I didn't even think about in that. In the Great Hall. That's really interesting. By the way, speaking of Valentine's Day cards, I just looked at the uh, official set of Harry Potter Valentine's Day cards kids could buy and maybe pass them around at school. This is basically what we used to do. Uh, they're available at Target, f- only $4. And but some of these cards are cracking me up. There's one with a picture of Hagrid and it says, happy Valentine's Day. I have a giant crush on you. Giant, half giant, Hagrid. Okay. We I love this. That's, yeah. should make Harry Potter themed Valentine's Day cards. Oh man. We should do yeah, it. Yeah, we should. We've got I was time. G-rated. I was going to think, <laughs> no, Laura, to write the wrong where you said that Unpopular people didn't get the Valentines in schools, and I definitely wouldn't have gotten uh, if they had done carnations. Oh, Eric! No, no, but 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 let's write a wrong here. Let's write each other a sing-song Valentines, like a delivered by a troll Lockhart greetings for for our upcoming Valentines uh, episode. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't want to come up with it right now. I fail miserably. (laughs) No, 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 no. I wouldn't have put anybody on the spot there. But let's each get. But also, I I have to call out one more card here. It says, happy Valentine's Day. You put a spell on me. And then there's four characters doing spells. One of them is Draco. And the spell he's doing is Serpent Sorsha, which is the one that sends a snake out of a wand. Is that romantic? <laughs> is the person who designed that card doing depends like... Depends on if you like well, snakes. <laughs> it depends if we're keeping this G-rated too. Right. Well, that's what I'm, th- I'm thinking. The card designer was thinking something else. And then Harry's spell is Expelliarmus, which also not very romantic. That's not romantic, yeah. Uh, well, this this is shaping up for that bonus muggle cast we were talking about, Andrew, uh, earlier in the week for Valentine's Day. Yes, and we'll do a dirty Harry Potter pickup line one, probably. It'll be dirty because Mike is 
planning it. And uh, but we did do another one and we should promote that one, too, because that one was really good as well. Well, actually, speaking of our Patreon, before we get to chapter 14, just wanted to plug our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We are now recording two bonus MuggleCast episodes every month. So you're getting more MuggleCast every month. On last week's, Laura and Micah took us through Tom Felton's autobiography. We reviewed it. We spoke about the most interesting aspects of it. And next week, we're going to talk about Hogwarts Legacy some of the familiar characters we can expect, some of the actors who have been cast in voice roles. There were a couple of interesting ones. And we'll talk about what the early reviews of the game have been like. So um, Hogwarts Legacy is coming out in just a few weeks now for PS5 and Xbox Series S and X. And uh, it's there's a lot of hype around it. So we'll talk about that in next week's bonus MuggleCast. These bonus MuggleCast installments... <laughs> These bonus MuggleCast installments. Your join jersey a came host out of- there, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, these join a host of- <laughs> a host of other benefits, including early access to each episode of the show, ad-free episodes, access to our recording studio, an exclusive Discord and Facebook group, and so much more. So check out patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We couldn't do this without you. You know, when people find out I'm from New Jersey, they say, I don't hear the accent. I'm like, yeah, that's because I'm from South Jersey. It's a whole different world down there. North Jersey's near New York. So all of them have that New York accent. Anyway, makes sense to me. No comment. <laughs> yeah, Micah, how did you escape New York without the accent? The Long Island accent. Oh, oh, Long Island. He's got it. Yeah. All right. Chapter 14. Uh, yeah. We're on board, Andrew. Here we go. Hagrid. Receives terrible news about leaving Huggy Huggy Hogwarts. Hogwarts, just Hogwarts. Okay, that went well. Yeah, good it's job, so much y'all. easier when it's only one other person. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll do, maybe we'll keep this up. I think this is fun. Yeah, I mean, being sent to Azkaban. We'll talk about this later, but is is quite. A sentencing, especially if you're living your life comfortably, peacefully in your hut, in your house on the Hogwarts grounds. Yeah. So, of course, we got this cliffhanger and this twist at the end of the last chapter. The chapter, This chapter is called Cornelius Fudge, by the way. We'll be meeting a new character here. And the trio is very surprised to learn it was Hagrid, but they're also not surprised. It kind of fits what they know about Hagrid. He loves creatures. They had already known he was expelled. They just didn't know why. Mm. And why would he have been expelled if it wasn't true? Let's trust we'll the system. That. Let's trust yeah, the system here. Yeah, let's trust here. the system. We have to. So it was totally him. We're 12. We don't know any better. This, the teachers couldn't be fallible. No, I mean, exactly what you're saying, Andrew, about we knew he was expelled. We knew he likes creatures. This is the payoff of... You know, I think devoting that whole chapter to Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback in in book one uh, was really setting up this character uh, of Hagrid being a lover of all things dangerous. Uh, I know Fluffy gets a mention right there, too, when Harry's pondering it. Um, This is the nail in the coffin. This is very much like I'm ready to believe that Hagrid did this thing. Of course, we realize he didn't do it maliciously, maybe, but he's been wrong before about how dangerous these creatures are. And so it's really the perfect setup and it's really the perfect amount of evidence 
that we as the readers have been given, just like what's going on with Harry being the heir of Slytherin. like there's so much compelling evidence against this person. Yeah, absolutely. And so shortly thereafter, someone steals the diary from Harry's dormitory. And it's a new clue in the mystery because it must have been someone who knew the common room password. Well, Hagrid is a former Gryffindor. Oh, yeah. Does somebody still give him the password? Nobody said that. That should have come up right now. And Harry's bedroom is a mess. Hagrid's a big guy. He's naturally gonna, you know, knock some things over. Could he fit up there, though? Well, that's what I'm saying. He he knocked. But also, I mean, I think someone would have noticed Hagrid in the Gryffindor common room (laughs) going up to the dormitories. Exactly. (laughs) He's not exactly the most stealthy of individuals, but. yeah, one thing that came to mind here too is is we know that girls are permitted in boys' dorms, but not vice versa. So while we have been tracking Ginny throughout the course of this book, we probably weren't tracking her really at all uh, when we were reading it for the first, second, or or third time. Uh, but I just wanted to note that uh, specifically, and something that just came to mind is. You know, Harry and Ron break into the Slytherin common room earlier on in this book. Now they have a break in, into the Gryffindor common room. Oh. So I don't know that that means anything, but it's a good question. I think it just if, well, it if there. Harry and Ron hadn't done that to the Slytherin common room, we would have been, I think, more alert or more suspicious that a common room had been broken into. Because um, next year, when it's just Sirius Black getting into Gryffindor Tower, it's a much bigger deal, I guess, to to us and to the school. After Harry. Here's the mystery voice again. Hermione has a sudden revelation and sprints to the library. And there's a great line here. Harry says, why she got to go to the library? Ron says, because that's what Hermione does. When in doubt, go to the library. Surprised that hasn't been like printed on a shirt at this point. Mm. Probably has. Not officially anyway. Yeah. Fan I'm going to get you that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm good on shirts for now. I pl- with peace and love. Uh, no more t-shirts, please. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the peace and love shirt? I need to see this. That that now that I'll take. <laughs> All right. Uh so this begs the question though, if Hermione thinks she's onto something, why doesn't she take her theory to a professor as opposed to trying to solve the situation on her own? That's what she does. Well, that's what they all do. She wants to contr- trio, she wants anyway. to be on the best footing when presenting something to a teacher. She wants to have the evidence. Uh, she wants to have the pieces together. The only thing that could possibly screw that up is the fact that Harry is hearing the voice. So if Hermione suspects that he's hearing the voice because he's a parcel mouth, that a voice that they can't hear, and that the creature may be a giant snake. The fact that Harry's hearing it means it's about to attack. Literally any minute now will attack. So that's why she should have gone directly to a teacher rather than taking time to go to the library because as soon as they leave the library, her and Penelope Clearwater, and she's conscious enough to warn Penelope to use her mirror uh, to turn corners, that's when they get caught. That's when they get petrified is because this is all happening within a few moments. Um, But Hermione, I think, because of the immediacy, should have gone to a teacher, I think. Do you think the basilisk picks up on the fact that Hermione was onto it? Because she is attacked not long after Harry hears the voice and she runs off to the library. And I'm just thinking of that connection we were talking about earlier between Harry as a horcrux, the diary as a horcrux, the basilisk uh, being the uh, 
well, the monster that Slytherin yeah. has has put in the school. Is it like a hive mind? Yeah, type situation. I genuinely yeah. don't know how the basilisk is targeting. How are all these people half half blood or or Muggleborns? Like, I genuinely don't know how it's targeting. It smells them. It's a good question, Micah. But I just my read has always been it was just an unfortunate accident. A coincidence that Hermione happens to. Well, they're also the only students uh, just hanging around. Everyone else has been hidden or taken to their yeah. like specific classes, right? Well, and I think wouldn't anyone, regardless of blood status, be petrified? Yeah. It just so happens that the basilisk is targeting muggleborns. Uh, my read was always that the diary was using Ginny to deliver intel about who the muggleborns were. Right. She sits next to Colin in class, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. She obviously knows Hermione's Muggleborn. So I wonder if she just gave it a list of all the Muggleborns she knew. Yeah. But then it's also worth noting that petrification is the secondary sort of thing that happens. In fact, it wouldn't be what the Basilisk or Voldemort's trying to do. Voldemort's trying to kill. Kill. Rip and tear. Right. And I think Hermione has enough clues, though, at this point, before she even goes to the library, that she should have gone to somebody who could have intervened in some way. Uh, because I think we know that she's figured out that it's using the pipes, but I don't know that at this point she 100% knows what it is. So she knows the how, but she doesn't know the what but she's careful enough to be carrying the mirror with her. So she clearly suspects something. So there is this attack on Hermione and a sixth year, a sixth year Ravenclaw. They've both been hit. And now things get really serious at Hogwarts. It's time to lock down Hogwarts. Teachers are going to be escorting the students wherever they wish to go, including the bathroom, which I found interesting in hindsight. Please don't Evanesco anything, everyone. We still want you to actually go to the bathroom. Though I feel like now would be an excellent time to teach everybody Evanesco and encourage that (laughs) instead. Can you imagine Snape looking over your shoulder (laughs) while you have to uh, use the bathroom? Please, Evanesco. Oh, oh, like Like practice. Everyone practice with me. Evanesco. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Quidditch is canceled. My gosh. Yeah, they start. They start getting really scared at this point. (laughs) But another clue in terms of the whodunit, Lee Jordan points out that no Slytherins have been hit yet. But this is interesting because it's in direct contrast to what we just heard a few pages ago, that only a Gryffindor would have been able to steal the diary from Harry's room. So there's like conflicting pieces yeah. of evidence here, which well, I thought were interesting. Is the password to, back. to Gryffindor Tower really that secure? Like, honestly, like her, even Hermione is like, oh, the, the, only a Gryffindor could have gotten in because we have a password. I've always wondered why there's not like a thief's downfall type of yeah. security feature for, for common rooms unless, you know, you're willingly bringing a person in with you, like you have a friend who's a Ravenclaw and you're bringing them in. Right, can't they visit? Yeah. And the fat lady would probably take note that it's not a Gryffindor who's walking through her portrait. Can you get like a visitor pass to the other common rooms? <laughs> yeah, but also to the point about like somebody would notice Hagrid rummaging through Harry's dormitory, somebody would notice a non-Gryffindor being in the yeah, Gryffindor Tower. So I think it's easy to assume that it definitely was a Gryffindor who stole the diary. For Penelope, though, 
Laura as a fellow Ravenclaw. I feel like uh, that was just a matter of convenience uh, from a writing perspective because I feel like they needed to get a Ravenclaw in there as well so that Lee Jordan could say what he said, that all the houses had been attacked with the exception of Slytherin. But she just seems like a convenient add-on to Hermione's situation. Yeah. And I think, too, and I think you actually note this later, um, she's also a convenient distraction um, or like a misdirection in order to make us think potentially Percy has something to do with this because he's continuing to behave um, in a very out-of-character way in this chapter, as he has the entire book. So Harry and Ron decide they need to go and ask Hagrid about the last chapter opening, chamber opening. And they admit it's going to be a little awkward. (laughs) And I was wondering here, because they decide to take the invisibility cloak since Hogwarts is now in lockdown mode, would the cloak have prevented Harry and Ron from being killed by the basilisk? Because there's that layer of a very unique material that's a barrier between the two sets of eyes. I love this question. Mm. I think so. This cloak in particular, I would vote yes, because we we know it's one of the Deathly Hallows and it was created by Death himself. So I would hope that it would protect. If it can hide one of the Peverils from Death, Death or, itself, yeah. as long as it did, I would hope that it would work against the Basilisk. That's a good question. I think I think it would still petrify them though, I, because they can still see... The basilisk. The basilisk can't see them, but they can still see it. So that would suck, though. If you're petrified under an invisibility cloak, <laughs> that would be that would be worse. Somebody would have yeah. to step on you. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to oh, find wait. you. Who is it? Who's petrified with nearly headless Nick? Remind me which student. Justin. Yeah, it doesn't. Isn't the reason he was petrified because he saw the basilisk saw through, through Nick. Nick? Yes. Yeah. So that's what I would argue. It would save your life. Presuming anybody could find you and then unpetrify you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's always two questions there with the basilisk, petrification and death. And I always forget to split them out. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So they get to Hagrid's hut. They're not at the hut for long until Dumbledore arrives with a new character, the minister for magic himself, Cornelius Fudge. And a few moments later, Lucius Malfoy shows up as well. And Harry and Ron, under the invisibility cloak, are watching a lot go down. It's decided that Hagrid, who still is considered a suspect in the first chamber opening, and getting back to a week or two ago, we were talking about how it's difficult to prove something that didn't happen. They decide that Hagrid needs to be sent to Azkaban so Fudge can show his constituents that he's trying to do something about these basilisk attacks. Ugh. The problem here is that sending Hagrid to Azkaban is an extreme idea. I'm sure we're all in agreement about that. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. no like house arrest. There's no like, <laughs> let's put you on arrest. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, does the wizarding world not have house arrest? Or hot arrest is another uh, title possibility for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, and I feel really bad for Hagrid because... There's there's zero evidence that Hagrid is responsible for what happened. That's number one. So the fact that you're taking him off to Azkaban without any evidence that he did anything wrong is terrible. Um, he's presumably being charged based on something that occurred 50 years prior and that the ministry and Hogwarts, we learned from Dippet, swept under the rug. Like they kept it quiet. 
Um, and, you know, um, you just, you can't arrest someone for a crime in the present day with no evidence because they may or may not have committed a similar crime five decades prior. Um, and I think it's unlikely that Haggard was even proven guilty 50 years ago. He wasn't. Um, so yeah. there, there's a lot about this that is really frustrating. And we know that Aragog and Acromantula, which I'm sure Hagrid offered that information up, mm. it that does not petrify right. individuals. So that should have been a tell right from the beginning. It's very frustrating to read this scene. Now, we also have to give some props to Dumbledore here because he de- he does tell Fudge again that taking Hagrid, quote, will not help in the slightest. So our boy is trying to come through here, but Fudge still has the power to put Hagrid in Azkaban. Well, and remember, Dumbledore said to McGonagall when Harry is overhearing when he spent his night in the hospital that the that he suspects who is doing it because he said the question is not who, but how. So Dumbledore really knew it was Voldemort the first time. And he suspects that it's Voldemort this time. But whether Dumbledore is ever going to tell Fudge that it's Voldemort again, this is we're three years ahead of Fudge not believing Voldemort is back, period. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of an uphill struggle for Dumbledore to kind of convey who is actually doing these attacks. Right. Well, and that just tells you if Dumbledore said point blank, it's Voldemort. Yeah. Fudge would deny it. He'd be in denial just like he is a couple books later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you asked the question, Andrew. You know, what else could Fudge do in this situation? There's always the option to put ores on the school grounds. Yeah. He has no problem in the next book putting Dementors at Hogwarts. Right. So putting actual people with human emotions um, would be something that I think would uh, make sense. That's a great point. How about just suspend Hagrid from the school and hold him at the ministry kind of to the point yeah. earlier, Eric, you and Laura were talking about house arrest, have some version of that where he's just not allowed on school grounds anymore until they figure out what's going on. Yeah. I thought yeah. about- There were definitely some alternatives. Give him a room above yeah. the hogshead, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how about you gather any evidence to prove yeah. that he's in fact responsible? The, the piece that always makes it work for me though, and how I justify all of this having gone down, is the fact that Tom Riddle showed restraint. After Hagrid was captured the first time, it was crucial that the attacks stop. Um, so Voldemort restrained himself. Voldemort stopped pulling the monster out because he realized it had gotten too hot or too, or he'd done what he came for or whatever. Right. I and, mean, he actually killed somebody where that hasn't actually happened here yet. You, but yeah. it takes four attacks, right? It takes the attack on Hermione and Penelope to bring the ministry, at least as far as we know. We don't know if Fudge has come prior to this. We don't know how much he's in the loop. So yeah. I'm curious, actually, how much does Fudge know about what's going on Presumably, Lucius knows and all the governors. what's going on. Yeah. So yeah. I-, I was just curious, is the minister kept in the loop at all by Dumbledore? I mean, you would think so, especially in an effort to try and make him feel better about Hagrid. That seems like that would have been a wise decision to try and yeah. keep Fudge in the loop. I don't think it would matter, though, because all Fudge cares about um, is optics. 
Mm, right? Right. He just cares about the public perception. He even says so himself, you know, yeah. he's, he's got to be seen doing something. Yeah. And Hagrid is a convenient scapegoat. And a lot of people would accept that explanation on its face without any kind of evidence or substantiating detail, because it, you know, we don't officially find out until later on in the series. But if you look at Hagrid, it's pretty evident that he is not, you know, quote, the traditional wizard, right? Not and fully I think, human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think people probably look at him and make that kind of assumption. So, yeah, it's, it's just so strange to me because where is this evidence coming from? Where or even where's the knowledge coming from that he did this 50 years prior? Because presumably somebody would have to have let slip that Hagrid was the one responsible, but yet we're told in the previous chapter that all of this was swept under the rug. So who's letting it leak that that Hagrid was held responsible 50 years prior? Uh, yeah, I think it was between the ministry and the headmaster at the time, Dippet. Dumbledore would have put his nose in, um, given evidence to support you know, any kind of accusation and allowed Haggard to stay on. Would have been the three of them. And so the Wizarding World public would not have known why Haggard was expelled. Myrtle's own parents were lied to. It was called a freak accident. Um, right. But yeah, beyond that, nobody else knows. As if this all weren't bad enough, there's even worse news. Lucius has said that the Board of Governors have voted to remove Dumbledore. There are all 12 signatures in support of this decision. Hagrid and Fudge both hate this idea. (laughs) That's, That's the best part, seeing Fudge get uncomfortable now. Yes, yes. He's well, the yeah, minister. Because... Step in, brother. Yeah. Well, apparently he doesn't have that power. Fudge says to Lucius, if Dumbledore can't stop the attacks, who can? Which is an interesting comment to make when he ignores Dumbledore's advice to not imprison Hagrid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like <laughs> He trusts Dumbledore to protect the school, but doesn't trust Dumbledore's opinion on Hag- Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we know that Fudge is writing to Dumbledore very frequently at this stage in the series, seeking his advice on how to do his job, right? Because, you know, we know that Dumbledore was a popular nominee to be Minister of Magic, and he declines the role. It goes to Fudge. Fudge is incompetent and bumbling. So he's really relying on Dumbledore staying at the school to keep things as level as possible, so that it makes it easier for him to create the public perception that this is being handled, even though the ministry isn't doing anything. I think Fudge is actually even putting too much in stock with, with Dumbledore because Dumbledore is not stopping these attacks or or, can, or can be seen on our end, yeah. from our perspective, be doing anything about it. Yeah, I guess he still sees him as the best option, though. Yeah. Especially at this time when, when things have gotten really bad. This is the wrong time to remove the headmaster. Right. We also get this iconic moment from Dumbledore. He says as he's about to depart, You will find that I will only truly have left this school when none here are loyal to me. You will also find that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. And he flashes a look at Harry, mm. even though Harry's under the invisibility cloak. But Harry thinks he he looked at him real quick. Pretty powerful line. 
And Laura, you've got to call out to the future, too. Yeah, uh, I think those words hit even harder, knowing that Dumbledore makes a more permanent departure from Hogwarts and Half-Blood Prince. Yikes. Excellent. Yep. I seem to remember it was answered why and how Dumbledore knows that Harry's under the cloak there. Uh, And the answer given that I'm recalling was that he was wordlessly casting a hominum revelio spell, which would have indicated to Dumbledore that there were two bodies uh, cloaked in the corner. And I just to go back to Laura's point really quick. You will also find that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. I'm also thinking to book seven, too, and the rumor requirements. Oh, yeah. All kinds of ways. Harry does ask the school for help and um, the school does come through. Well, and also, let's not forget that Harry is under the invisibility cloak on the astronomy tower when Dumbledore gets killed. In both instances, he is using... Well, I think Dumbledore tells him to go put on the invisibility cloak, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's vague. Everything Dumbledore says here is vague. I don't. I mean, it's lucky that Harry figures out what to do with that info <laughs> about, yep. uh, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> Dumbledore's not gone, causes Fox to come. <laughs> it's very much the end. Of, we've given a lot of crap to Dumbledore for, like, not doing anything. But I think it can be said that at least Dumbledore is banking on putting some kind of protection in place that eventually does save Harry at the end of this book. But I don't know. I just found Hagrid's, if somebody wants to know about stuff, a lot more useful, actually, than what Dumbledore is saying here. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's more specific. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's Dumbledore for you. Vague. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Hagrid's not very subtle either as he's leaving. He's like, yeah, and somebody will need to feed Fang while I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make my bed too, please. Don't forget to put out the fire. Water the plants. In the movie, Robert Hardy is just like, Looking, looking around, kind <laughs> yeah. of questioning. Aloof. It's a perfect moment. Yeah, yeah. I've, I find this all to be absolute lunacy from the standpoint Go off, that Go off. Dumbledore. Yeah, I mean, Dumbledore and Hagrid leave this up to Harry and Ron to figure out. You'd expect Dumbledore to at least hold his ground somewhat, or maybe look to name a replacement to ensure that the students remain safe. I, I just feel like putting this on the shoulders of a two 12 year olds to figure out, you know, follow the spiders, you know, and, and ultimately having to take on what's in the chamber by themselves is classic Dumbledore. Classic Albus D crazy times at hoggy wordy Hogwarts. Hagrid does offer that hint about following the spiders, which will lead us into the next chapter next week. A couple of odds and ends. I don't know why this was included in this chapter. Maybe it just isn't that deep, but they start picking classes for next year and maybe a little foreshadow alert. Hermione signed up for everything. Amazing. Thinking about like the time turner and getting in over her head. And then maybe another foreshadow alert. Percy first recommends divination to Harry. And of course, that ends up being a big class and we meet Trelawney in book three. I don't know. Stretch? <laughs> no. No. I, no, it's it's setting us up for ultimately the time turner story arc, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she signs up for everything. It's noted her mind. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very much so. I wouldn't have suspected Percy to be a big fan of divination. I actually liked Percy in this moment, though. He was 
being a bit of a mentor to them and and especially Harry providing him with some guidance on which uh, classes to select. It's not something we often see uh, from Percy. So it was nice to see that. Uh, but speaking of Percy, Laura, I think you alluded to this earlier when we were talking that uh, he's noted to be pale and stunned. Uh, this is following the attack on Hermione and Penelope. And Fred and George think it's because a prefect has been attacked, but little do they know it's actually because Penelope is his secret girlfriend. Uh, now, this brought to mind for me, Fred and George at this point have the Marauder's Map. Have they never seen Percy and Penelope together? Have they never seen Ron and Peter Pettigrew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation, but I guess maybe because they're both prefects that it wouldn't maybe draw attention to them being together, but you would think maybe that they would... Yeah. note what was going on between the two of them. It does seem odd because it, it seems very on brand for Fred and George to want to prank Percy. And it wouldn't take very long, I think, because we know Percy and Penelope are meeting in secret all over the castle in random places. It wouldn't take long to see their two dots just like perpetually next to each other in a random yeah. corridor in the dungeons. <laughs> At night. It'd be funny if like two people were making out, like they kind of melded into one and hearts started shooting out on the map. Oh, like in Deathly Hallows when Harry and Voldemort meld into one. Yes, yeah. exactly. Maybe, yeah. We should get some hearts for Valentine's Day then. <laughs> I actually, I had one more connecting the threads that I thought about when we were talking about this chapter, and that is just the importance of events at Hagrid's Hut. So if you look ahead to Half-Blood Prince, and I know we'll meet Aragog coming up, but you know it's Aragog's death that really allows for Harry to get close to Slughorn. Uh, and when Hagrid, Slughorn, and Harry are all together in Hagrid's hut, it's where ultimately the memory of what Tom Riddle was up to is revealed. So we have obviously important events happening at Hagrid's hut here in Chamber of Secrets, but then it comes to play a really important role. Um, in Half-Blood Prince. That's amazing. Good call-outs. And those are the chapters. Now let's move on to MVP of the week. And I'm going to give it to Professor Dippet for actually being concerned about the safety of his students when there's a threat from within. You can learn something from him, Dumbledore. Wow, that's surprising that you're... I know. ...crapping on Dumby. I'm always fair. That's what's unique. <laughs> I'm always fair. You're fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. Fair yep. and balanced. Oh my <laughs> Andrew God. News. Fox Andrew. My MVP is actually going to go to Hagrid because he stands up to Lucius Malfoy. He says, uh, how many school governors did you have to threaten in order to get them all to sign your paper? Wow, man. Stems fighting words. I am going to give the most valuable chapter award to the very secret diary this chapter literally is the chapter that, if you look back on, explains so much of what's to come. Uh, and it's really our first introduction to how Voldemort was able to survive. Uh, it's Horcruxes. It's what happened at the school 50 years prior. So uh, that gets my vote. It's the first time I've given it to a chapter, but I think this chapter, more than any others, um, stands out. I like that. Good. I'm going to plus one Hagrid specifically for giving Harry and Ron the most useful and direct advice. 
um, in this last chapter that we did about how they can find answers for this. But I'm going to also give an honorable mention to Tom Riddle, although, you know, we're not on his side. He does successfully socially engineer Harry into believing exactly what he wants him to believe. Riddle plays Harry like a fiddle. Yep. All right. Well, if you have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast.gmail.com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message. We love hearing you. Record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Again, mugglecast.gmail.com. Or you can use the good old fashioned telephone. Our number is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Now it's time for some quizage. Last week's question What spell does Hermione use on TM Riddle's diary? And the correct answer was Aparicium, a spell that I think we only have uh, or see once, which is nuts. Correct answers were submitted by Buff Daddy. Dobby the House Elf's Earmuffs, John Clark, Tom's Riddle the Horse's Name Was Friday, Hermione's Bookcase, Coco the Cutest Puppy, Diplomat Snail, Andrew's Valentine, aw. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah, your Valentine submitted a correct answer on Quidditch. Mm, I'm going to send you one of those Target Valentine's Day cards. It was me. Oh, it was Micah? Okay. It, was, it wasn't. And Confetti Bacon. So congratulations to all of those. And next week's question... Who escorts the Gryffindors to their herbology class? Submit your answer to us on the Quizich form, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, or click Quizich from the main nav on mugglecast.com. If you don't support us on Patreon, but you do use Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to MuggleCast for just $2.99 a month, and you can receive ad-free MuggleCast and early access to each new episode of the show right within the Apple Podcasts app. Of course, you do get many more benefits at patreon.com slash MuggleCast, but if you'd prefer to just support us through Apple, we do appreciate that. We appreciate other ways you support the show, too. Reviewing us, like we mentioned, telling a friend about the show, following the show for free in your favorite podcast app. And here's another way you can support us. Follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew and a big supporter of Professor Dippet. I'm Eric and also agree. Professor Dippet was not awful. Uh, I'm Micah. And sure, I'll throw my support in there for Armando as well. <laughs> and I'm Laura, Justice for Hagrid. Aww. I'm off to a Horcrux meet cute. Bye, everybody. Uh, Bye. Bye. Bye.